Hey, Phantomorphs. Uh, I need to put a quick pre-show note here. So, in this chapter, uh, Alfangor refers to the humans in uh, a not great way. Um, he he calls them crippled, and if you weren't in the know, that's um, a a super not okay thing. Uh, or not okay way to to refer to someone with a physical disability. Uh, written in the nineties, so mm, it, but uh, I don't think it was okay then either. Uh, but but I just wanted to kind of put a warning up front, um, because it's it's really not a pleasant thing, and like the Andalites have this whole issue uh with with how they view physical disability that the the book explores a little bit or not the book but the series explores a little bit more later on but uh these thoughts that Alfangor has don't really get rebuffed here so I want to rebuff them uh in place of the narrative doing it uh what he says is really not good it's not okay it's it's wrong and it's hurtful and don't do that um but I I just felt like I I needed to to address that here at the front. So I have, um, and enjoy. Chapter five. We led Lauren over to our fighter, and then we carried the second human across. He was unconscious. Bright red blood ran from a cut above his left eye. Red blood? Arbron said. Red? Yuck! I was trying to act more mature than Arbron, but to tell you the truth, blood that color creeped me out too. Still, I didn't think humans looked ugly or anything. Not like the Skrit or Taxons, which are seriously ugly species. Nor did they look dangerous like the hork bajir Mostly, they looked funny. I'd never seen a species that walked on just two legs, without even a tail to help with balance. Arbron said what I was thinking. All it would take is one little push, and they'd fall right over. Earth must be hysterical. Humans falling forward and back, falling all over the place. No wonder they are so primitive. They probably spend all their time just trying to stand up. We were almost back to the dome ship when the second human woke up. We'd left the skirt naw to try to figure out how to fix their ship. That was their problem. Hey, no one told them to shoot at us, right? Ugh, the human moaned. He was larger than Lauren, maybe two or three inches larger. His hair was brown, not golden, and it was cut short. His eyes were also brown. Not blue, like Lauren's. Lauren went to him and bent her legs in such a way that she could kneel down beside him. Arbron and I exchanged a look of amazement. It had to be hard to kneel like that and not fall. Hey kid, you okay? Lauren asked. The wounded human opened his eyes and blinked. He stared hard at me. What happened? Lauren shrugged. Now we have a different bunch of aliens. 
Who'd have guessed there were so many people zipping around outer space? Are you okay? That big cockroach popped you pretty good back there. You have nothing to fear, I said gently. You are safe now. The human felt his wound and looked at the red blood. He seemed almost as grossed out as I was. But he climbed to his feet, which involved using his hands, I noticed. Humans seem to have stronger hands than we have. I am Alfangor. This is Orbron. We are Andalites. We will return you to your home planet. The human nodded slowly. Telepathy. You use telepathy to talk. His gaze traveled to my stock eyes, back to my face, then to my tail. The tail is a weapon, isn't it? Is it poisonous, or does it just cut? I decided right then that I didn't like this human as much as Lauren. I didn't like him much at all. I politely told you my name, human, I said coldly. Now I require your name. The human gave me a look that seemed insolent, although who can really tell what an alien facial expression means? My name is Hendrik, actually, but I prefer my last name. Most people call me by my last name, Chapman. I think these Andalites are okay, Lauren said to Chapman. At least they're better looking than the last bunch, and they promise to... Shut up, Chapman snapped. I'm not interested in the opinion of a kid. Kid? Hey, you big jerk. Who was it that got the weapon after the ship stopped moving? Me. And who was it that was cringing in the back, begging for mercy? You. And anyway, I'd be surprised if you're even a year older than me. Chapman's face grew pink. A fascinating thing to watch. He clenched his jaw tightly. And now it seems your heroics were pointless. We're prisoners again. And I have a feeling we won't be grabbing guns away from these Andalites. Suddenly, he lunged toward the Dracon Beam in my hand. Without even thinking, I whipped my tail forward and pressed the blade against Chapman's throat. Chapman laughed. See that? See how fast that was? Couldn't even see that tail move. Again, he gave me an insolent look. What did you say your species is called? Andalites? Well, I have a feeling you guys are a little more dangerous than you pretend to be despite all your polite talk and promises. I felt like a fool. Not for the first time that day. The human Chapman had been testing me. We need to prepare to dock with the dome ship, Arbron reminded me. I went through the docking procedure, moving the fighter back inside the fighter bay. I concentrated on my work, but I was upset. I didn't like the human named Chapman. I didn't like his suspicion toward me. After all, we had rescued him from a future as a zoo animal on the Skritna homeworld. He should be grateful. But maybe that's the way humans are. I've heard there are species that can't handle anyone helping them. They'd rather die than ever be in debt to someone. But judging by Lauren, not all humans were that way. Not your problem, Alfangor, I told myself. Just turn the humans over to the captain. Not your problem at all. But I was wrong. 
the humans were my problem. In fact, I was about to have lots of problems. Chapter 6 Okay, this part is a little tricky. I told Lauren and Chapman. We were moving from the central shaft out onto the dome floor. There's a 90 degree gravity change at that point. I mean, down in the main shaft is a different direction from down on the dome floor. It's confusing at first. We were safely aboard the Star Sword, and Arbron and I were giving the humans a brief tour. The debriefing officers were too busy to see us yet, I guess, and we couldn't figure out what else to do with the humans. You just walk naturally along the curving floor, I explained. I know it looks like you're walking off the edge of a cliff, but the artificial gravity will move with you. Arbron and I held our breath, watching the ungainly two-legged creatures trying to stay upright. Amazingly, they did. They have very excellent balance, Arbon whispered. They'd have to. We emerged from the shaft out onto the grass of the dome, and Lauren cried out, It's huge! It's like a whole park in here! Trees, grass, flowers! Wow! You have these kinds of things on your planet? I asked her. Well, similar. Our trees are almost always green. And the grass is all green too. More green than this, I mean. Not so much blue. And no red. If you are hungry, please feel free to eat as much as you like. I suggested. Eat what? Chapman asked. I waved my arm widely to indicate the entire dome. We have 17 species of grass in 30 different flavors. Grass? You eat grass? Lauren asked. Chapman nodded thoughtfully. That's why you have the dome, isn't it? You graze, like horses or cows. Only, you don't have mouths. So how do you eat? Wait a minute, you eat with your mouths? Arbron asked. How else are you going to eat? Chapman said. With your hooves, like any sensible creature, Arbron said. Then he laughed. Do you mean that on Earth, humans walk around pressing their mouths to the ground to eat? He looked at me. Okay, even you have to admit, that would be funny to see. Chapman started to explain how humans ate, but it was hard to picture, really. It involved spearing chunks of hot, dead animals and stuffing them in the mouth. But I refused to believe that was really how they ate. I assumed Chapman was making things up. Later, I found out the truth. In any case, I was relieved when Lauren interrupted Chapman's gruesome story to ask, Do you mind if I take my shoes off? We've been cooped up in that scritchy nose flying saucer. It'd be nice to walk on the grass. Of course, I had no objection, because I had no idea what a shoe was and I could certainly identify with the idea of running on the grass. I was hungry, too. But then Lauren sat down on the grass and began ripping her hooves off, ripping the very hooves from her legs. What are you doing? I cried. Stop that! Stop! Why are you hurting yourself? What? 
What are you yelling about? You are going to hurt yourself, and I don't think our doctors know how to help humans. I said. Lauren stared at me. She was still holding her leg awkwardly in her two hands. Then she laughed out loud. It was an alarming, yet strangely pleasing, sound. These aren't my hooves, Alfangor, she said. They're shoes, see? She untied the tiny ropes, and before I could stop her, she ripped the white hoof clear off. No! I moaned. Ah! Arbon yelled. But Lauren was not in pain, and there was no blood. Then she removed a layer of white skin from the exposed leg end. Suddenly, I was staring at five tiny pink fingers. They were growing from her leg. See? This is my foot. We don't have hooves, and we wear shoes over our feet. See? They keep the rocks or whatever from hurting our feet. I felt a wave of intense pity. What had gone wrong in the evolution of this species? The entire species had to cover its feet to keep from being injured? An entire race crippled? Suddenly, the funny mental image of a planet of humans falling over all the time was replaced by the sad picture of a species of cripples hobbling along on their weak, injured feet and covering them with artificial hooves. Lauren stood on her delicate pink feet with their ridiculous short pink fingers and started to run across the grass. She wasn't very fast, but she obviously wasn't crippled. And then she did something amazing. She turned her head around. She turned the entire thing so it was pointing backward. Come on! But I couldn't move. I noticed Arbon was as amazed as I was. What the... What is she doing? He asked. Then it dawned on him. It's because they only have two eyes. They turned their head to see behind them. I stifled an urge to laugh. I broke into a gentle trot and quickly caught up to Lauren. Feels good to stretch my muscles, she said, speaking in a halting way as she ran. She stopped running and twirled around, twirled right around, and her golden hair flew out behind her. That was something to see. A two-legged creature can twirl better than a normal person. I was sure I was going to die on that flying saucer, she said. But here I am. Amazing. I guess this all seems very strange. Oh yeah, strange isn't half of it. This is a beautiful tree. Pink leaves. Incredible. It's called a Thurant tree. It's in its Kriost phase. Do you see the way the grasses become more galactic and less escalic as they grow near? That is because... I stopped talking then, because Lauren casually reached up and touched a low branch. There was nothing wrong with that, of course. But then she wrapped both her hands around the branch and lifted herself clear up off the ground. That alone was a miracle, but as she stretched... I saw the white pastel-marked skin of her upper body come loose. It lifted away and revealed a layer of pinkish tan underneath that matched her face and arm skin. Arbron came running with Chapman struggling to catch up. 
Lorraine held herself suspended and laughed at us. I guess we'd been staring. Very strong arms, Arvon remarked. Can you imagine lifting your whole body up with your arms? That skin is very strange, I said. It's almost as if it's not attached. Lauren let herself drop back to the grass, and she didn't even fall over. It's not skin, Chapman said. It's called clothing, like the artificial hooves. This is artificial skin. It keeps us warm. You're cold. No, but that's why we have clothing, to keep us warm in cold places. Why would you be in cold places? I asked, curiosity overcoming my dislike for the human. He shrugged his powerful human shoulders, shoulders capable of lifting his entire body. Parts of Earth are very cold. Parts of it are so cold, you die without many layers of clothing. But why do you live in those places? I asked. Chapman smiled. It was interesting, because already I was getting the feeling that not all human smiles were pleasant. We're not going to be kept out of a place just because the weather's bad. We adapt. We grab whatever's available and make the best of it. At least that's my motto. Grab what you can. I would have asked him more, but just then the call came for Arbron to go to debriefing, and I was ordered to take the humans to a holding room. Hello, Phantomorphs, and welcome back to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. Of course, this is your host, Daniel, and thank you for listening to another episode. I just want to give a shout out right here at the top to Tegan from Australia, new platinum listener for actually donating uh, to my hosting fees which, of course, you can find a link to my PayPal uh, in the About section of my website, theapocalypse.com. That's like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. But anyway, uh, thank you so much, Tegan, for your donation. That's just really cool. Um, First and only, and it was a really, really cool thing uh, to see in my email, that notification. So, really, thank you so much. Um, That's going to go to hosting this podcast. If you'd like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. As always, if you use Apple Podcasts and you'd like to leave me a rating and review, I really enjoy getting those, so please feel free. Otherwise, uh, thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.